Welcome to the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Join us on this journey to travel to a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, known as a Parsha. It's a weekly reading according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle. Every week, we will have a discussion filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten path that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will review and share opinions from the weekly Torah, also known as the five first books of the Bible or the Mosaic Law. We will also do readings from the Hafsorah and the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament readings. For those who ask, what is the forgotten path? Jeremiah 6.16 puts it like this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Our podcast seeks to point our listeners to that ancient old path through the study of the Bible from the perspective of the Torah, which is properly translated as instructions. This Torah portion is Beku Kotai. The Torah portion for this week starts in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, excuse me, 26, verse 3 through 27, verse 34. The Haftorah portion from the book of Jeremiah 16, verse 19 through 17, verse 14. And for the gospel portion, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22, and Matthew chapter 16, verses 20 through 28. Normally, Behar, which we covered last week, and Bekotai are read together because of the leap year this year. They've been separated, and this is the last reading from the book of Leviticus. Bekotai means in my statutes. And going back again to Leviticus 26.3, the name comes from the first verse of the reading, beginning with the words, if you walk in my statutes. This last reading from Leviticus promises blessings and reward for Israel if they will keep the Torah, but punishment and curses if they break the commandments of the Torah. This last chapter discusses laws pertaining to vows, valuations, and tithes. So let's hop right in and discuss what's happening. First of all, everyone, apologies for the delay. It is Wednesday, and normally we would have uploaded this since last Saturday. Life got in the way, and so we are a little behind, but keeping faithful to what we've been asked to do, we are keeping on. So verse 3 begins, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments to do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. I'm going to read up to chapter 13, just so we're on the same page. So verse 5, your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, 
and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke, and made you walk erect. There's a lot of commentary about this portion, especially with regards to this first part. Speaking of the blessings for obedience and the exacting details on the punishment for disobedience. What I, I would like to have as a conversation today is to talk about how all this comes full circle as we walk through this together. So first three begins, just as a parent speaking to a child, if you obey what I say for you to do, good things are going to happen. Right? You got rains in this season, you think Israel's an arid land, desert, there's some valleys there and the like, but it really is a relatively dry area. So rains in this season is critical for agriculture, it's, agri it's critical for livestock. You have to know when you're going to get water, where it's going to be so you can live. It's, it's essential for life. The land shall yield as increase. The trees of their field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last at the time of the grape harvest. So you're sowing and reaping. You're all the way to the time of the grape harvest. You're still gathering. And then the harvest is lasting until it's time for you to start sowing again. So you've got no lack at all. You've got consistent provision. You're eating your bread to the full. You're dwelling in your land securely. No one's bothering you. You've got peace. You can lay down, rest. Nobody's making you afraid. Your enemies aren't bothering you. No harmful beast even. There's no sores. Nobody's running through there starting any trouble. And if any enemies show up, you're getting chased. You're giving chase. And they're falling before you. You know, it first begins with a 20-fold blessing five of you will chase a hundred so each of you guys are chasing 20 people but then when you get to a hundred and the community comes together and instead of just five there's a hundred folks showing up now that blessing increases five times 50 times a hundred ch chases 10,000 so now everyone's chasing a hundred each of the hundred are chasing a hundred it used to be 20 now as everybody comes together in the community each person now is able to chase 100 people. And once again, the enemies are falling before you by the sword. Adonai says he will turn to you, make you fruitful, multiply you, confirm his covenant with you. So once again, it goes back again to you're being blessed because the Most High God is looking to make an example of what he will do with those people that are willing to be faithful. Who are willing to 
hear and follow his commandments. And by confirming the covenant, he's showing that difference between what has been set apart and what is common, the holy, the secular. The verse 10, where it says, you shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. That refers to produce. When you're thinking of, you gather up grapes, potatoes, whatever you're growing in your garden and you store them in a cellar or somewhere to be maintained until the next year's harvest. That stuff that's been stored away in the silos and in the cellars and in the all of the different storage containers, they won't spoil, they won't rot, they've been stored and you can keep eating them. And even as you're eating the old, you're only doing it not because you're running short on provision and you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. You've got to make way for the new stuff that's coming in. That's how abundant your provisional blessing is. Adonai says, he'll make his dwelling among you. His soul shall not abhor you. You're walking faithfully in his commandments. You're reflecting his glory. There's nothing in this community that's going to be a detestable thing to him. You're walking in his ways. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. And when verse 13 speaks of, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves, the slaves of the Egyptians. He broke the bars of your yoke, that yoke of slavery, and made you walk erect, upright. Think about oxen to the plow and you've got this yoke on you and your shoulders are bent because you're just doing that work day after day. And then think about it mentally, physically, this bondage of slavery and sin and these things that are just heavy weights. And now you can stand upright because that burden, that weight is off your back. And instead of you being hunched over carrying this burden, you can now stand up straight and have your head up. Now, the punishment for disobedience goes from 14. Let's see how far it goes. It goes all the way to 45. Now, here's the funny thing about it. And I understand the perspective that, oh my gosh, so many punishments, so many punishments. It really isn't, you know. When you break it up chapter by chapter, or chapter by chapter, section by section, everything speaks against the things that have been used to disobey and then taking that away so you can get your mind, your heart, your spirit refocused. But then if that doesn't work, then more comes. And if that doesn't work, then more comes. So starting with just the first section, we're going to read 14 through 21 just so you can understand where I'm coming from. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. 
Those that hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And it continues, and it continues. So here's what happens here. You've got to have a heart that's willing to yield to obedience, even when it doesn't feel comfortable. And we've all been there. We've all had these great ideas in our head, these wonderful ideas, these thoughts, these ways that seem right in our own mind. And we're like, we can do this. We don't have to listen to something that's uncomfortable. So we take our physical, mental, spiritual strength and we make it our guides above the God. And so now instead of being comfortable, you've got panic. Instead of being healthy, you've got wasting disease, you've got fever, you've got heartache. Instead of plentiful crops, you're sowing your seed in vain. You don't even get to enjoy it. Your enemies will eat it. Instead of Adonai walking with you and his soul not abhorring you, he's setting his face against you. So you don't even have that comfort that God's with you. And you're being struck down before your enemies. The ones that you were chasing, one man to 20, one man to 100, now they're beating you up. Those who hate you will rule over you. Even when no one's pursuing you, you're going to run. You're going to flee. You're going to be scared of your own shadow. You're going to panic. Then, if that doesn't sit there and get you going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, okay, forgive me, I'm turning back. Then you get disciplined again, sevenfold. Then he goes out after the pride of your power and the things that you've been making your guides, those heavens, those are like iron, just hard unyielding, not bending your earth like bronze. You can't sow against this thing. It is tough. It is unbending. And your strength will be spent in vain. The land will not yield its increase no matter what you do. The trees of the land will not yield their fruit no matter what you do. And then if you keep going, then everything else is going to sit there and keep upping the ante, upping the ante over and over again until hopefully you get to the point where you turn back, you repent. None of this is done because God doesn't like you. If you don't listen, you don't do the commandments, if you spurn the statutes, if you abhor. Now, it says, if your soul abhors my rules. It doesn't say if you think differently, if you question, if you are trying to understand, it goes, if you abhor it, if you just have this hatred in your heart for these rules, and you're like, I'm not doing any of this, I'm breaking this covenant, I'm going my own way, I know better, then these things are coming against you. So the easy answer is, follow the rules. What What, what is it that you're saying for me to do? Okay, I can do that. Do I understand it? No, but better to be obedient. And it seems like it doesn't make sense sometimes, a lot of times, especially if you are thinking, I can figure stuff out. I'm kind of smart. I can do this. 
I can postulate my own ideas, think of my own stuff. Why do I need to follow this? It's very easy to delude yourself into thinking you know better. We don't. Straight talk. But then that's what everything goes on and over and over again until after it gets to verse 33. Well, let me read 32 to just say how far it's gone. And I myself, this is Adonai speaking, will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. The land is so devastated at the end of it all that those that take it over are like, my goodness, what happened here? You know, think like a house party where people just wreck someone's house and then the parents come back and they go, what happened while we were out of town? I mean, just ruined. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheathe the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your city shall be a waste. Now, verse 34, very interesting. 34 and 35. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. Now you go, what in the world does that mean? Remember last portion in Behar where we were talking about the 7 times 70, the 490 years, the Jubilee being the 50th year, and these annual cycles? Every seventh year, the land was supposed, not even was, is supposed to rest. Farm six years, let it lie restful on the seventh year. Don't plant on it, don't reap from it, don't just leave it alone. People got smart in their own minds and said, we can keep on reaping and sowing and planting and harvesting on this land. We'll just come up with loopholes to get around it. All kinds of stuff out there, right? But the land never got its rest. And the biggest thing wasn't so much about the ground needing to recover its nutrients from the fruits that fall and it goes back into the soil and all of that. That's definitely a part of it. But if you think about how Sabbath was made for man, don't you also need to take a break from the work you're doing to reconnect? Doesn't everything deserve that same rest? But because people said, no, we don't need to do that with land. We can swap it amongst each other. We can give it to a neighbor for a year because, you know, it's not my land that's being, you know, I'm not working my land. So, you know, I'm good. It's the other people that are doing stuff and all kinds of interesting plots and plans that people come up with. So now these seven years of Sabbath rest have been ignored, bypassed. 70 times, right? The Lord says, you know what? I've had enough. Y'all get out. I'm going to let the land rest. Kick everybody out of it. And now, it gets to enjoy a Sabbath rest. Everything that you did not want to do, everything you did not want to give it, it now gets. Because the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. Hey, yours. we're stewards, superintendents, managers. 
not owners. We take care of the master's house. It's not ours. So follow the master's rules. Period. And then it keeps going. But verse 40 to 46 closes out this section. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy a Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, why is all of that important? In my opinion, you go, well, well, so did the Lord give all these information to the people? Was it not on Mount Sinai? Then we have this covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. The history, the connection of we've been through a lot together. I'm not walking away from you. I'm not breaking my covenant. I know what I swore. I know I swore. I gave these instructions. I know I promised. Abraham, I confirmed it with Isaac, I renewed it with Jacob, I'm not going anywhere. I won't utterly destroy you, but yes, I will not be happy with the things you're doing in error. But if you turn around, I've got you. I'm still here and I'm willing to keep my word. And then when you go to chapter 27 and you're reading about the different vows, it took me a little bit of extra study on this one to understand what this was about because it didn't make sense to me the first couple of times I read it. But a couple of commentaries gave me some good insight. And it speaks about when folks are making a special vow. So, for example, if you're, as they would say in the church, if you believe in God for something special, like, Lord, I'm praying that you help get me out of this situation or heal me from this disease or help me return safely from this trip or whatever this occasion is. And you're saying, hey, if this works kind of like Jacob, if you help me go back to my brother Esau in peace and he receives me gladly, I will return a tithe unto you and you will be my God. If you can help me get through this crazy situation, I'm yours forever. You know, those types of vows. And sometimes it involves people. If you say, I will 
give my child unto you, evaluation of a male, it speaks up to, you know, that uh, valuation of 50 shekels. If it's a female, you know, I'll give my daughter unto you, that's 30 shekels. Five years to 20 years old, for a male, 20 shekels. For a female, 10 shekels. For a month old to five years old, people dedicating their children. There's a valuation for a male and for a female. If you're 60 years or over, male and female, if you're too poor to pay that valuation, then you stand before the Kohen. The priest will value the person, and the priest will value him according to what the vower can afford. If you vow an animal, there's something there. Once again, people do all kinds of stuff praying for a favor in the midst of situations or to be redeemed out of situations or to gain favor in situations. And if you decide, oh, let me change my mind. Let me redeem this thing that I've dedicated unto the Lord. Then you got to add a fifth to it. It's a 20% penalty if you oops, <laughs> I didn't really mean to do that. Okay, well, you, you got to pay the penalty price for that. If you dedicate your house, the, the priest will value it. And if you wish to redeem the house, this is verse 15, then that person has a fifth to the valuation price, and then you can get back your house. Same thing, you know, same thing with part of the land that's in your possession, and it values in proportion to its seed. And then if you dedicate your field from the year of Jubilee, if you dedicate it after Jubilee, if you wish to redeem it, all of that's there because it's understood that in this culture, amongst these people, you may be encouraged to go and make this vow to promote a favorable response for one reason or another. But if you decide to change your mind, you've got that provision built into it. If you need to know what the valuation was for these different circumstances, some of it's written in scripture, some of it is up to the priest to make their valuation calculation. The only thing that you cannot dedicate is the firstborn of an animal because it's, it is the Lord's already. If it's an unclean animal, then you can sit there and go through the evaluation plus a fifth. But if something's already been devoted, man, beast, inherit field, those devoted things that have already been given over that you were not able to redeem, it's already done. That's been given unto God is most holy to the Lord. You can't get it back. Every tithe of the land is the Lord's, it's holy. So, and once it kind of settles that whole debate about, you know, what do we tithe on? The seed of the land, the fruit of the trees, all of it's the Lord's. If you wish to redeem some of your tithe, you know, I think we everybody's been there some portion in time where you think, oh, maybe if I don't give all of it, if I can use some of it to cover this expense, pay for some gas, whatever, whatever, whatever. If you need to redeem that, you add a fifth to what was owed. That's what's written. That's what needs to be done. 
Every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. Don't differentiate between the good and the bad. Don't try to take the give God the bad stuff or the quote-unquote best stuff like it's going to give you some additional favor. Don't make any substitute. But if you do try, and you do try to substitute, then the substitute and the original, tenth one that passed under the herdsman's staff, both of them are dedicated, both of them are holy and can't be redeemed. So we're going to cut that nonsense out of trying to swap out the better and the worse. Just stick to the rules. So, relatively short this week, but I think the study and the application is going to be the most powerful part of this conversation because everything speaks back to being obedient. And that, I think, is the hardest part that we choke upon. It's this simple instruction to just do what's asked of us. If we can sit there and just whoop and do what's in front of us and everything else will work itself out. It's tough. It really is. Our flesh fights against truth. Our spirit swears and knows better when we let the flesh control it. And our mind really thinks it's the smartest thing in the world. And can figure everything out way above that. And God help us if our heart gets into it. And we really want to do what we want to do despite everything else. What an uphill battle. But together, we can overcome. We have already overcome in Messiah Yeshua and on that with his strength we can do all things so this concludes our reading in the book of leviticus i'm going to miss this book but as tradition often suggests we say this saying together as we celebrate closing one chapter and opening up a new one kazak kazak vednit kazak be strong, be strong, and let us strengthen one another. The words kazak, kazak are in the imperative. They're a command. We're commanded to be strong. The word venitskasek is a future tense word, and it means, and let us strengthen one another. Yes, each of us as an individual must be strong. Not only for ourselves, but for those around us, our neighbors, our families, our communities, our workplaces. But all of us as a community need to strengthen one another. Because like the Hezekiah Walker song says, I need you to survive. We all need to endure and succeed in this life journey. Being able to stand together as a community, wherever we are, wherever we count as our neighbors, our friends, our family helps us all to stand and walk through any and every situation together. So let us be strong, be strong, and let us strengthen one another. Shalom. So as we conclude this podcast episode, we always encourage 
those that are listening to like, share, subscribe, and continue the dialogue with us. By all means, please feel free to share any of these sessions with anyone within your circle and those that you meet. May we all be enlightened by our study together and learning of the world. And to reach us, our website is return.rest and email is call to the number two at return.rest. So by all means, send your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Let's see what we can do to keep making this something of great value to each other. And as we close, we'll close with the Etzkayim prayer. Etzkayim ki machazikim bar beton mekeha merishar derakeha darkei noah vechol nativoteka shalom hashivenu adonai eleka venashuba kharesh it is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come renew our days as of old. Shalom, y'all.